I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, bringing you this episode here on a Wednesday, and I'm excited to welcome in a guest for this episode. Spencer Mahone will join the show here, Talk Browns. He works for Blue Wire as well, is a producer, editor. Spencer, say hi to the the fans out there. How y'all doing out there tonight? Spencer, have you grown up in Cleveland your whole life? Are you a Clevelander through and through? I know you went to Baltimore Wallace. Yeah, I'm a Clevelander through and through. I grew up on the south side, so I know you're a Shaker Heights guy. Yes, I am, originally at least, of course, here in Chicago right now uh, in my nice noisy apartment. But uh, yeah, holding it down. And uh, yeah, let's start with the Browns, you know, looking back. We're going to talk trade deadline here primarily, but I just I want to get your quick takeaways from that game first against the Raiders on Sunday. Browns fall 16 to six. It was terrible weather, uh, windy. I think they called it the uh, grappa or something like that. But uh, what were your big takeaways from that game real quick? My big takeaways, number one, we need Nick Chubb healthy, which thank God we have a bye week this week so we can get him healthy. Not having Wyatt Teller was another big issue. I thought at least because not having him be able to block and having and not having him uh, to run behind is, is a tough thing for the Browns going forward. And hopefully he's healthy. I got a little nervous when I saw miles Garrett go down. I was talking to uh, one of the other guys that I was working with on Browns game day. He's the midday producer over at the fan Dan Menigan and, we both looked at each other, we're like, and we see Miles go down, we're like, all right, this is quite bad. This is not good. I mean, luckily he'll be okay. There's no structural damage based on the MRI from Monday. But my biggest takeaway is we're a beaten up team. And I, I think the Browns got hit with the injury bug this year. However, it's not the end of the world. I'm not sounding the alarm just yet. The Browns are five and three at the bye. I can't remember the last time the Browns were above 500 at the bye. Yeah, certainly a, a good sign there. Uh, it's interesting that you went to the offensive side of the football as your takeaway from this game. I, I posited on my podcast on Monday here on this feed that I know the Browns only scored six points, but to me, it actually felt like more of a defensive loss, the way the Raiders just kind of ran the ball down the Browns' throat and the fact that we couldn't get them off the field at all. My biggest takeaway was, in fact, that the, the, the Browns' rushing defense that came into the game, I think it was the fifth-ranked rushing defense uh, in the league, it really struggled. And you touched on Miles Garrett's injury, which certainly was a factor in that. Uh, and good news, of course, coming from Adam Schefter that, that it's not anything serious. But 
What do you think about that take? And what was your uh, opinion of what happened on the defensive side of the football for the Browns on Sunday? I was frustrated watching the defensive effort from the Browns. The one, I guess, silver lining on the defensive side, uh, we finally found Olivier Vernon. I mean, it took half the season to find him. Got a couple of sacks, but I mean, at the end of the day, it didn't mean anything. I think he played the best game of the defensive lineman. I think you're right there, but also at the same time, uh, it was not a great showing, I thought, from the defensive line as a whole. I thought Larry Ogunjobi had his worst game of the season. I can't say I was particularly impressed with Sheldon Richardson either. And as, as we just touched on, Miles Garrett went out. And that's supposed to be the strength of this team is that defensive line. So that part to me was the most disappointing thing is we've talked all, all season about how the secondary has its weaknesses with the injuries and things like that. But it was actually the defensive side of the football up front that, that caused me so much concern. And, and, and like you said, I think it was a little bit of an aberration. I'm not going to sound the alarm bells either. Weird weather, all of that. But uh, at the same time, I thought the Raiders beat the Browns at their own game a little bit. And so that was the only, I, I guess, mildly concerning part is looking forward. The Browns, you know, this team is supposed to dominate the line of scrimmage. And if it can't do that on the defensive side of the football, how does it do anything really? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I can't tell you how many calls for Baskin and Phelps on Monday that I fielded about the Browns over – overall effort and I mean fans pointed to the offensive side of the ball and it, and this was another thing that if you listen to the post game on the Browns radio network Jeff Phelps brought this up and in the three losses that the Browns have six seven and six that's not good when they win they're above 30 points so what I worry about is that the Browns come down to it's, it's a team like you're either hot or you're not. It, it, it's one of those, those teams. And I feel like, I feel like that can come from some of your bigger players. Now, again, I'm not taking shots at anybody, but this was a team. You, if you look on paper, the Browns are supposed to beat. Now, did they take it seriously? I don't know. And, and other hosts that I work with at The Fan, they've brought up that same question, and they don't know the answers. It's, it's just kind of a frustrating thing to watch because we all want the Browns to succeed because we don't want to feel calls that are like, oh, the defense was this, oh, they suck, oh, trade Andrew someday, he'll blow the whole thing up. We don't want to feel calls like that. We want to feel calls where, hey, you know, Sandejo might have had a rough showing, but, you know, he was picked up by Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams and, you know, whoever else might have shown up that day. That's the kind of stuff that we want to feel. I, I hear you on, on the offensive side of the ball, but to me this, this game was totally different than – 
the Ravens and the Steelers just because of the weather factor that we, we've already touched on a little bit. I thought Baker Mayfield struggled in those games against the Ravens and the Steelers. I thought our offensive line struggled in those games even more than it did in this one. I think in this game, it was just the, the offense was limited by the weather to some degree. I actually thought Baker Mayfield played pretty well. Uh, he didn't get a lot of help. Uh, the, the drop by Jarvis Landry in the end zone. There was the key drop by Njoku on third down. Uh, Landry had another drop. I think though, they, those guys didn't help him. But and I, I, I kind of I disagree with you. I'm going to push back on on the thing. Uh, if the Browns should have beaten the Vegas Raiders, I think this was a pretty even matchup. I, I think Vegas has shown a pretty high ceiling as well. You know, with their performances against Kansas City and some of the other teams. In, in across the league. I know they had a, a poor showing against the Buccaneers, but I actually think the Raiders are a playoff team as well, which, which could spell bad things for the Browns. But overall, I just thought, hey, the weather was bad, and I don't know what else really could have been expected of Baker Mayfield in this game and, and the offensive side of the ball, other than maybe a little bit better uh, running. Uh, but, but the offensive line had some issues, as you said, uh, especially with injuries. Yeah, that, that's a fair point you bring up. I don't think Baker had a bad game, and, and there's no way you can pin all the blame on one person. I mean, I've fielded many a call where people want to blame this one person just because he's the figurehead of the team, whether it be Kevin Stefanski, Freddie Kitchens, because I've been over at 92.3 for a year, so I've heard calls about Freddie Kitchens and have had to handle those. But – point remains whether it's Baker Jarvis David Njoku uh, Kevin Stefanski ownership even people want like a scapegoat and in a team game like football or even baseball and basketball that don't you just can't do that it's it's not all on Baker like I said he played a pretty solid game but the receivers did leave a little to be desired and and that's on all the receivers Harrison Bryant had a fumble when they were driving in the first quarter. And that that's another thing in each of the three losses, they also gave away the ball early. So do, do you think that kind of sets the tone for how the game's going to go? Yeah. Well, I, I don't think any of them helped. I think especially, I would say actually it really set the tone more in this game than any other uh, because this game was clearly going to come down to protecting the football possessions were going to be limited based on the weather. And so I think that the turnover early in this game hurt the Browns the most where they were, you know, playing catch up uh, kind of from the start. And really the, you know, in the Steelers game, it was more so an indication that Baker Mayfield wasn't, it wasn't having a good game, but that's not what I saw. Obviously on the, on the Harrison Bryant fumble that none of that was on, on Baker. So Look, we're going to get to talk plenty more Baker here as well uh, in in the final topic of the show. So I want to move on real quick because the Browns stayed silent at the trade deadline, much like most of the NFL. Spencer, should they have made a move to help this defense uh, in particular, or really anywhere? Should they have made a move at wide receiver too? Should the Browns have made a move at this deadline? I definitely think the Browns should have made a move. We had – Scott Petrak on the fan with Baskin and Phelps and Petrak was expecting the Browns to make a move before the trade deadline. And that didn't happen. Now, if you look at the defensive side of the ball, you look at the safeties, there's people out there like ha ha Clinton Dix and the like that you can go after and 
even if it's just a rental, I think it'd be a nice short-term fit and it would kind of shore up that safety that uh, Sandejo's struggled on and off with throughout this season. Yeah, I, for me, the biggest takeaway from Sunday actually was that I thought the Browns shouldn't make a move because I saw a lot of holes across that defensive secondary and back seven. And I think the Browns are going to need to fill those with draft picks. And so to me, giving up a draft pick for a slight improvement at safety doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think Haha Clinton Dix, you know, the one name you bring up there, I think he struggled a lot of this season from the football I've seen with him. So I'm not that interested in him. And, you know, giving up one of those draft picks to get somebody in long term that I think could help you to me isn't worth it because I think this roster actually showed a lot of imperfections on the defensive side of the football. And still, I think they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs either way. So I just don't really, I know I saw a lot of Browns fans that were in the camp like yourself that said the Browns should make a move to bolster the secondary at the deadline. But I just didn't see what move was out there that made a lot of sense. It, to me, it felt like very short term thinking when I just don't think this, honestly, this team is at a Super Bowl caliber level. And I think they're at a playoff caliber level either way. So, you know, to trade for a rental when you have, which really is the only thing that makes sense with Grant Delpit coming back with Greedy Williams, uh, hopefully playing at some point this season in the secondary, it, the rental is really the only option. And I, I just didn't love a lot of players out there. And I didn't see a lot of players get moved that uh, I was like, Oh, I really wish the Browns had made that trade for that player. I just didn't see that one out there. No, I'm with you. And I mean, I've heard people bring up uh, Clay Matthews, who's, I believe out on the waiver wire at this every, moment. Every Browns fan wants Clay Matthews because of his dad. I'm I'm okay without Clay Matthews personally. I think Clay Matthews is a little past his prime. No, I'm with you there. I I'm just saying I I've heard that thrown around by a lot of people, a lot of callers, some of the hosts. Now, I I don't think you need anyone in the linebacking core. It would it would help if you had you know some of your. Uh, draft picks from the previous April to uh, at least shore up the depth because the big problem that I see right now on the Browns defensive side of the football is you're playing with depth and you're just getting exposed. I, I see that too because of the injury bug like we, we mentioned earlier in the show. I just think a lot of those guys are young and, and there's – the Browns fans just need to be a little bit patient with them in terms of the linebacking core in particular, but also the secondary that's not playing. It's just, it's too quick for me, you know, one year in, two year in for these guys to just to really make a judgment call there. And to be honest, also from a team building philosophy, I'm just not looking to invest a lot in the linebacker position. I think the Browns letting Joe Schobert go was a long-term smart thing. Uh, even, you know, with him down in Jacksonville this year when the Browns could certainly use him. And I just – that's not where I would invest, uh, you know. So I'm a fan of, of using the cheap draft picks there, of using depth at that position and not signing any star players. Uh, for me, the secondary is where I would invest, which the Browns did. Unfortunately, it's just not working out because those guys aren't on the field. Yeah, and I mean, it was unfortunate. We were going to have those guys. I mean, Del Pitt went down, I want to say, within the first – week of training camp and we haven't seen Greedy all year and apparently from what I've heard 
Greedy has had made a lot of improvements. So he was supposed to be a really big piece opposite Denzel Ward. Grant Delpit was going to be in the position of Andrew Sandejo. And then you have a defense, I think, that's really worth talking about as one of the best young secondaries in the league. Now, like I said, obviously that, that didn't happen. So you're left with depth and Andrew Sandejo and Terrence Mitchell. Terrence Mitchell, again, not a bad guy, but, I mean, he's no Greedy Williams or Denzel Ward in that matter. So people are starting to throw away from Denzel Ward or planning to throw away from Denzel Ward and just kind of run the football and milk the clock and just be methodical because those of you who saw Sunday know that that's probably one of the ways you're going to have to beat this team. You're going to have to beat them in a low scoring affair. You're going to have to keep Baker off the field. Yeah. And I think honestly, Cincinnati attacked the Browns in a similar way. But I think Terrence Mitchell is what he is. He's a, you know, he's a third corner on a team. I think he, he's been solid this season for sure. And he's just, he's not going to play press coverage on a consistent basis. So he's going to give up those underneath throws, which I think Joe Burrow took advantage of a lot and Derek Carr to some degree as well. Uh, but I, I'm not too worried about it in the long term. I'm just not. I think he's, he's thrust into a position that he's not meant to be in right now. And that's okay. Uh, but for me, as I said, ultimately, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of Browns fans clamoring for the Browns at the de- to make moves at the deadlines. And I thought, if anything, I, I was hoping they would do the opposite, and they did do the opposite. So I came out of it a little bit more optimistic than I think most did. But, Spencer, I also want to talk about Andrew Barry's press conference today. Uh, he, he touched on Baker Mayfield a lot in particular. Uh, there's a story up on ESPN about it by Jake Trotter. And so we're going to talk about that when we come back. But first, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode of The Rebuild is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back in full swing, and you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. And and let's be honest, you probably didn't want to be at the stadium for that one uh, with the Browns' thirty-five to forty mile per hour winds. We we've all done it, but uh, it wasn't so bad to be at home in the comfort of your own home with the heat on all that and bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering off wins division and championship futures all day every day Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all their great sign-up bonuses. Just don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. This episode of The Rebuild is also brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. I can tell you we certainly didn't stop here at Blue Wire trying to give you guys great content. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control 
and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over three and a half million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners at Blue Wire a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Support the show. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, and we're back here on the Rebuild on Blue Wire podcasts. Follow me at Henry underscore Ettinger. Follow Jordan Zerm. And Spencer, do you want to toss out your Twitter handle as well here for the listeners? I'll toss out um, Instagram for that matter. It's Spence Mahan, all one word. But yeah, let's jump into that that story, uh, you know, on ESPN today by ESPN's Jay Trotter covering the Browns about – Mostly Baker Mayfield, Andrew Barry touched on a couple of different players, but, you know, Jake Trotter's takeaway from it was very positive for the most part. Barry said a lot of nice things about Baker Mayfield so far this season, saying he's done a nice job, he's put them in position to win, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing he noted was that Andrew Barry didn't use the term franchise quarterback at all in that interview, that he didn't go quite as far as to call Baker Mayfield the future of this franchise. So, Spencer, my question to you is, through eight games, where do you stand on Baker Mayfield? Has he proven that he's the long-term answer for this team going forward? Because I think ultimately, more so than the wins and losses, that's the fundamental question for the Browns this season. I think Baker is a guy you can build a team around. Obviously, you're going to have other guys like Jarvis Landry in the fold, too. That helps a lot. And if you can build around, you know, two, three, four guys, then you got something. Because you also have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, and that's that's your third and fourth guy to build around. So there's an, there's an offense to build around. Now, if he's the long-term answer, it depends on – how this system works out for him and how this coaching relationship with him and Kevin Stefanski works. Now, through eight games, I think it's worked pretty well because, like I mentioned at the top, I don't remember the last time going into a bye week the Browns were above 500. And also, Trotter mentions in this article, they have a better than one in two chance of snapping the NFL's longest playoff drought. And we're not Super Bowl contenders right now. That's okay. We need to build to get to that point. There's a couple of pieces that we need to build uh, to get and build around. We need depth on the defensive side of the football because you're going to get Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit back. You're going to get Greedy back at some point this year, hopefully. You're going to get Delpit back next year. And I think Delpit is a phenomenal talent. And I really – felt bad for him because I wanted to see what he was able to do this year 
Now, again, back to the offensive side of the ball. I would, I guess this is a long way to say yes. However, if you use Baker as a game manager, and you can do that, we've done it before, I think the Browns can make it work. I, 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 I pause a little bit when you say game manager to me, because when I hear the words game manager, I think that's not a franchise quarterback. And, and now I'm not saying I disagree with you in the sense that I actually, I, I think it does depend on this coaching relationship. Number one, I think we've seen the trend of most quarterbacks in the NFL is actually, you know, are, are they matched up with the right coach? I think we've seen that with Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, maybe even with Derek Carr, who we just saw on, on Sunday. It, it, maybe it does just come down to that coaching matchup. And, and for me, I'm in wait-and-see mode still. I, I'm right with Andrew Berry, where I think this has been a positive step in the right direction for Baker Mayfield. And I think that so far through eight games, it looks like he and Kevin Stefanski have a pretty good rapport. But I'm not all the way there yet with him. I'm not. I think, you know, it's – if anybody was going to, you know, develop in the third year to a different level, it's going to be Baker, especially given that, you know, the first two head coaches he had, and then this weird off season, I think it's not necessarily what every Browns fan wants to hear, given the fact that this team has been desperate for a quarterback for so long, but I think we're still in, in wait and see mode. And I'm trying to preach patience to all my, my fellow Browns fans out there because look, most quarterbacks that are coming to the league and we're seeing it firsthand with Joe Burrow are working as franchise quarterbacks. So if all Baker Mayfield is at the end of the day is a game manager to me with how good this roster is, that signals the Browns need to go get somebody else. I'm not saying that's the case. I actually am leaning more the other way, but if he ultimately at the end of the season, we're like, eh, game manager more than franchise quarterback, that signals to me, Time to go get somebody in the free agency or the draft to at least compete with them. No, that's a fair point to make. And I feel like competition is a big part of what would drive Baker Mayfield. I mean, you like you see it on the field in all the Browns wins, which were all shootouts. Baker and Kevin Stefanski were super dialed in on offense and the offense was clicking on all cylinders, dare I say in in those five wins and again with the record it's a case of you're hot or you're not and at the bye week we got to call it for what it is they're a five and three team that has a good chance of making the playoffs if if they can just hold on to how they've played thus far and I have every reason to believe they will because their schedule is a piece of cake yeah, we've talked about on the uh, you know this on the last show and, and on a couple of shows ago as well that yeah, the schedule does certainly fit for the Browns down the stretch. But if anything, to me, that means I expect if Baker Mayfield's a franchise quarterback that he's going to be consistent in stringing together some wins not only the next couple of weeks but the rest of the season. And then I've got those games against Pittsburgh and Baltimore circled. To me, I want to see more out of Baker in those games, and I think he's going to have the opportunity to as his team gets healthy, as he gets Nick Chubb back. And, you know, the Bravens situation, of course, he it was his first game with Stefanski. The Pittsburgh game, his offensive line didn't do him any favors. I hear all that, and I, I'm not – again, I feel like I'm coming out more pessimistic than I mean to be, 
but I'm, I'm neutral on Baker right now. I'm, I'm patiently waiting and anxiously watching the last eight games before I make up my mind on whether or not he's the long-term feature. And, and even in the short term, should the Browns pick up that fifth-year option? I'm still in wait-and-see mode. I would say, yes, I'm in wait-and-see mode because I, I want to watch these last eight games as well. And you made a really, really good point on having Baltimore and Pittsburgh circled. He has to show up. There is absolutely no way that Baker can't show up. If he, like, if he just goes dark in those games like he did in the first set of games against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, this team is not going to make it because you're essentially – you're going to be stuck at 9-7. and seven. You're going to be on the fringe – and when we had Daryl on uh, the barbershop last night up at the fan, Daryl's like, I feel much better being 10 and six, which means you have to beat one of those teams or beat both of those teams. If you, for some reason, drop one of the cake games on the schedule here. So I'm really excited to see what happens with a mostly healthy Browns team. Now we get to the point of, missing Odell Beckham and that's going to hurt in those games I think especially with all the implications that I would assume are going into that game should the Browns you know have a record that shows they're like set, let's say seven and four going into these games or seven and five those are games again must win and I think you're going to miss Odell at least a little bit there for sure but if, if, if it's me that's not an excuse I think what we've seen out of true franchise quarterbacks is they can overcome some of those injuries, uh, especially to the skill position players. And that's why I think, you know, these final eight games are going to be even a better test for Baker Mayfield. But it ultimately it comes down to, if you're going to win your division, you basically have to have one of the best two quarterbacks. I think that's been pretty well, uh, you know, played out throughout the last 10 or 15 years or so. And, and there are exceptions, but on a consistent basis, you look at the teams that win their division, they have either the best quarterback or maybe in a, you know, the second best quarterback, if it's close. And I'm looking at Joe Burrow. I'm looking at Lamar Jackson. I know big Ben's old, but he's still there at least for now. And until he retires, which I can't wait for, trust me as a Browns fan, but until he retires, he's still out there too for the Steelers. Baker Mayfield's got to put himself in the in that cl class if the Browns are going to compete for this division on a yearly basis. And right now, they have the roster to do so. So I think it, it comes down to whether or not Baker does that. But Yeah, you raise a really good point. I was just going to bring up something on Ben Roethlisberger when you said that the Browns need to have one of the two best quarterbacks in the division. And that makes absolutely 100% sense. I mean, you, you've seen Big Ben's playoff runs. Like, they, they speak for themselves. Now, granted, he's more your prototype quarterback where Lamar Jackson kind of matches the modern day. But, again, you look at Baltimore in that case, and they have the roster to where they can actually use Lamar Jackson as a dual threat. And in last year, you look at Baltimore and Pittsburgh. It came down to having – Duck Hodges, and I don't even know who their third-string quarterback was, and Lamar Jackson, and the Steelers just couldn't do it. 
it ultimately, it's an oversimplification, of course, but a lot of this league comes down to who you have behind center. And the Browns are, are, are still TBD there, in my opinion. However, however, to end this rebuild episode on a positive note, we got to say it one more time. Five and three going into the bye. Over a 50% chance to make the playoffs. Knock on wood there. Certainly plenty of season left and a lot of things could happen. But as far as the first eight games go, I think this is about as good as we could have hoped. Right, Spencer? Yeah, I mean, if you wanted me to be quite honest with you, I didn't think I'd expect that the Browns even remotely had a chance at being 6-2 and two going into the bye. Now, losing to the Raiders hurts, but this is, again, something from the Dan Menigan school of thought. You're 5-3, and three, you're 5-3, and three, you're 5-3. and three. I can't say it enough. You're over 500, and you have a really good shot at making the playoffs. This is the first time in, I would say, 10 to 12 years that I think the Browns have a legitimate chance of making the playoffs. For sure, really, you know, uh, and really the only other time I can think of is in 2014 when the team started out 6-3, and three, which is the opportunity they'll have next time we see them is a chance to match that 2014 start before, you know, of course in 2014 I think they dropped the final five games of the season. So certainly don't expect that from this team, and, and they'll have a chance to match that start in their next game. Between then and now, though, they have that bye week. We'll uh, continue to bring you content here on the Rebuild, but no Browns game this Sunday. So everybody, you know, take, take your weekend off. Go, you know, outside, get some fresh air and all of that because two weeks from now, the Browns will have to strap in for their final eight games as they try to make a playoff push. And we'll be right there alongside them here on the Rebuild. But that's going to do it for this episode. I'm Henry Ettinger. I was joined by, by Spencer Mahone today. Former Baldwin Wallace guy now working at 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland and at Blue Wire Pods as a producer and editor. So very happy to have him on the show. Thank you for joining us today, Spencer. Hey, thanks, Henry, for having me. That was a lot of fun. And until next time, Browns fans, I just have two words for you. Go Browns.